Welcome to the Center in the City podcast. I'm your host, Wade Brill, and during this series, I'll be interviewing various thought leaders, wellness experts, and humans on how they practice sustainable self-care and mindfulness. We'll get real and raw, talk about the light and the shadow side of self-care and mindfulness, and how we can actually stay centered amid the chaos and the hustle and bustle of our modern day world. So settle in and get centered. This podcast episode is brought to you by Centered in the City, a virtual on-demand self-care and mindfulness platform with over a hundred different meditations, journaling prompts, nourishing recipes, and Pilates flows, all designed to support you feeling calm, focused, and energized as you live your life in this modern day world. For more information, head on over to centeredinthecity.org and claim your seven-day free trial. Notice how much better you will feel by having a consistent practice to support you staying centered. Because so many of you are experiencing burnout and overwhelm these days, I wanted to share some words from a Center in the City member where she gets to highlight how she's using the platform to support her finding more pauses in her day that help her take care of herself and commit to her well-being. Listen in. My name is Amanda and I became a member a little over a month ago after realizing how overwhelming life had become with the constant noise of my work life, personal life, to-do list, taking care of my dogs, and everything in between. After I joined, I developed a more holistic approach to my day-to-day life by incorporating rituals to help me slow down, breathe, take time doing the things I love, like moving my body with running, yoga, spending time reflecting on the day, and creating boundaries that I really needed and able to achieve the things that I wanted to each day. This has led me to become a patient, less crazy, chaotic version of myself, and I am forever grateful. If you resonated with anything Amanda just shared, I want you to know you are not alone. So many people are struggling with managing burnout and stress and overwhelm from the constant pressures and demand and expectations that are out there in this climate. Centered in the City offers you this opportunity to pause and connect to self and really commit to your well-being. And if that sounds exactly what you need right now, then I welcome you to take advantage of the annual discounted membership only available for a few more days for the month of May by signing up at centerinthecity.org for the annual membership and using coupon code CENTER, C-E-N-T-E-R, 2020 to get 20% off the annual membership. I'm looking forward to seeing you on the inside. I am so excited to have my front door, Jenny Blake, back on the Center in the City podcast. If you are new to Jenny, she is an author, a podcaster. She has both the free time podcast for heart-based business owners, as well as Pivot with Jenny Blake, which is focused on helping others navigate change, specifically career change. Jenny has written multiple books, and her third book is out in the wild, and it is called Free Time. Lose the Busy Work, Love Your Business, which supports people freeing your mind, time, and team so that you can do your best work. Ugh, sounds so good. Now, if you are not a small business owner, you will still get a lot of great nuggets out of this episode because we talk about systems thinking, how to bring systems thinking into our everyday life to support our well-being. 
So settle in, get cozy, and let's get centered. Jenny Blake, welcome back to the Center in the City podcast. Wade Brill, it's always <laughs> an honor to be here. There's nothing I would rather start my day with at 11, 11 a.m. Eastern time than you and a cup of coffee. Love it. Cheers. Cheers <laughs> to the cup of coffee. Cheers. Yeah. And I have my mug from Cafe Grumpy, so I, I was a little grumpy today. <laughs> <laughs> so this is going to turn it right around. I have no doubt. It already I, has. I love it. Tell us about a time when you weren't centered and how you practiced meeting yourself there. I will tell you about a time last night, which is that I found out that free time won an award, which is so exciting. And I don't mean to harp on a champagne problem, but the category that it won for was self-help. And this Wade is a huge mm. pet peeve of mine. And I felt rage that I have really tried to write a brass tacks, nitty gritty business book. And there are, there is one out of 20 writers who write books about business systems. That's a woman. And I thought I'm going to enter this space and I'm going to give the most practical. And it is again, it's brass tax business. And so yes to win, but then the self-help category just felt like a pat on the head. I doubt this would have happened if I was a man that anybody, no matter who, uh, like not to place blame or anything, but no one would have had the idea to like, I don't know. So I got very off center last night at the annoyance and frustration of that, of having worked so hard on something, how just actively avoiding the self-help label, not because there's anything wrong with self-help. Although one time I had the joke idea to write a book called self-helped past tense, uh, because I have read so many of them in my lifetime, just the frustration of not feeling seen and, and wanting a seat at the table of business books, the word business is in the yeah. subtitle. And, um, I guess to your question of how did I center myself? I vented, thankfully my husband, Michael, <laughs> just let me vent for a couple minutes. And I, I really need to express myself. I don't get angry very easily ever, but when I do, it's if I feel it, I feel it so much. And then that's, lets me know, I really care about something because it's hard to push me to a place of that much emotionality and frustration. And that's how I felt last night. So I think I'm still feeling the effects this morning, hence my cafe grumpy mug. And I just did a yoga, 20 minute yoga before coming to this conversation with you and talking with you, we'll turn it around. Of course, trying to be grateful. Like it is an award-winning book, but it just kind of sinks my heart a little bit. Yeah, I can understand why that's disheartening because you, part of your intention for writing this book that you share about in the book is because you saw that there was this white space in the business book category that was missing heart yes. and that free time got to be this book and this tool and this resource for small business owners to feel empowered by their business, yes. not constantly. Joyful, yeah. delightful. Yeah, exactly. Like bringing joy and delight and ease and heart mm. to th these values, to the business world, to the business space, to the business and systems category. It's actually super important to me that they, to carve a space for these types of values in business. <laughs> right. No? Or could they have said business and self-help? Because yeah, if you are a business owner, 
it, when you are working on your business, you're also working on yourself and vice sure. versa. But sure. like, yeah. But I just feel oof, it hurt. It's stung. It's stung. Yeah. And again, I'm not trying to complain. It's a privilege to have written a book. It's a privilege to win anything at all. But, but it's real. It's, it's real. And real. It's, present. it's frustrating. It just yeah. feels like a pat on the head. And I think because for a lot of my career with Pivot, my previous book that came out in 2016, I was also absolutely adamant that it be labeled a business career book. Because again, I was trying to change the conversation about business and about career, normalizing career change instead of just calling it a midlife or quarter life crisis, trying to give people language to navigate change. And it is that framework is being used at companies like Google to this day. Mm -hmm. So take it friggin' seriously. (laughs) And it used to annoy me when I always love going to events for women and speaking at conferences and events for women. And I also still want to seat at every other table that isn't just for women. I still think there's room to promote these kinds of messages and this kind of writing to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And something that's unique about you, Jenny, in your work is that it does appeal to a very diverse audience like people who are in your bff group it's not just women it's everybody and you know i think a lot of other business groups are specifically more niche oriented toward just female or just male or whatever so that's very interesting and i'm sorry that's present right now oh well thank you for asking about it see that's a good question because I did not expect to talk about that at all. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's real. And that, and I appreciate the anger and the frustration because that can throw us off center and how you are still also processing. And that's real too, right? That it sometimes takes more than just a 20-minute yoga flow or just a conversation with a loved one to process our emotions. So to just even honor that is, I think, a huge superpower. Let's talk about business. Okay, yes, because let's go, let's mm-hmm. go there with with your beautiful free time book that's right here. Yay! And I listened to your book on um, audio, which to let you know, I've never done that before, and I loved it so much. And it was wow. so joyful for me to hear your voice, like walking me through it, and then also to have the hardcover book to refer back to things. So I loved it and i listened to it while i was on the beach in mexico just doing my walks during the day and so i learned so much and one of the things that really stood out to me was a story you talked about when you were younger that you grew up with the blueprint of busy that you talk about how you know after school programs you were constantly bouncing around from this after school program to this after school program and both of your parents were working and so you just kind of grew up in that lifestyle and i totally resonated with that tell me a little bit more about what you noticed from growing up like aftershocks that you Mm. experience as an adult as a business owner from growing up with that energetic blueprint Yeah. Well, first, thank you so much for the kind words about listening. I'm honored that free time got to go to a beach in Mexico. Thank you. And yes, I realized because here's what was going on. Here's where this realization came from. In my twenties, I was working at Google. And then when I was running my own business, I would always say that I wanted more spacious calendar and yet I wouldn't create it. I would always say that I wanted more time. And yet, as soon as I would look out at the next two weeks, they were crammed 
wall to wall essentially. And definitely that was the case in the culture at Google, but I was recreating it even in my own business. And that was sort of perplexing to me. I realized that as a latchkey kid in San Francisco, I went to school with a key hanging on a string around my neck, which now I think about it. I'm like, that's not that safe. What if a stranger sees a kid with her key hanging on their neck? Um, but yeah, my parents were working full time. So for starters, the blueprint, the number one blueprint was that you work all day, all week. That was already from the get-go. Both parents, they were divorced when I was five, but still they both had full-time jobs. And so I think my mom went back to work after three months after having me. So that's all I ever really knew in our working system is based on a factory model. And so even that it's like, I think we're increasingly raising awareness around that's not probably not the best time blueprint for any of us, but also part of my childcare was just, as you said, stacking all these activities, go to school. If they had an aftercare program, go to that, then take a bus over to gymnastics, followed by a piano lesson, followed by ballet, followed by acrobatics. And then my mom could come pick me up and do my homework in between. And at one point I even had a chocolate selling hustle. Somebody like recruited me. If you sell three chocolate bars, you get one free. And <laughs> these weird a kid's San Francisco dream. moments. Yeah. Yeah. Totally a kid's dream. So I would like sell these chocolate bars as well during my after school shenanigans. And this is what dawned on me that my time blueprint was one where every moment is full and it doesn't matter if they're activities or school or homework or a side hustle, like you cram every day, A to Z and, and that's that. And so it wasn't until I started to I had to be aggressive about creating space on my calendar. And to this day, I'll see, oh, like my preference is three meetings in a day, only Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But then we all do this where it's like, oh, okay, I'll just fit one on top of that or one at the bottom of that. And I do that a lot too. But sure enough, when I get to the fourth call of a day, I'm tired. My energy wanes. And so what I've been doing lately is if someone schedules me for a video call by default, I just write back, Hey, can we do this over phone instead? Some people are telling me after they've read free time, someone adds them for a 30 minute meeting. They write back and say, Hey, can we do this in 15 instead? And contrary to offending the other person, some of the other person writes back and goes, Oh my goodness. Thought you'd never ask. I'd love to knock this out in 15 or yes. I would love to get up and move around. I would love if we could do this over the phone. So we all do each other a favor by having these types of boundaries and requests, like just questioning the default state of things. Mm, I love that to question the default state of things, because I think we have operated on such defaults. Obviously the pandemic was a huge interruption to how we're living and working and what's sustainable, but it's true. And I think what you offer, one of the things that you offer very powerfully in this book to business owners and non-business owners is just a new paradigm of thinking and organizing their life and their time and their energy. And you say that stress is a systems issue. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yes, not all stress, although even there we could roll it up to our broader systems of society, but business stress in particular is a systems problem. Every single time I've had moments of stress or roller coasters, things that were driving me crazy, if I really took a step back, I could say there's a broken system here. And as soon as I put my mind to designing the solution, I'm free of it. So when you're experiencing stress in your business, even your career more broadly, I do think there's an opportunity to step back and say, 
how do I ease the pressure here? How do I get myself out of the way as the bottleneck? How do I drop this all together or realign it with what is important? Just like we talked about the schedule and calendaring. I mean, if you're stressed because you have no free time, no time to exercise, that's a systems problem. I guarantee like with the right scheduling parameters or buffer or pushback, you could carve out more time. And it's a matter of building our awareness. And then sometimes it's either having this eureka moment of what system to create, which I recently had around email, or it's actually talking to friends and other business owners and other people and saying, how have you solved this? And so uh, saying no was one that I really struggled with. And I just had to ask over and over. My friend and I even started a saying no shared page in Notion where we collected snippets of interviews and articles of every way that people learn to say no in graceful ways. And so there are times where I've really had to build up my uh, armor is not the right word, but my like marshmallow suit (laughs) around something to create padding around issues that were particularly vexing or stressful. One of the things that you mention in the book, and you've also mentioned in the BFF calls, are like how to systematize things in life that can support us managing stress. Like just to take off the repeat tasks. I think you use the example of like toilet paper or whatever in your grocery cart, you know, to put it on repeat. What happens there in our mind when we can unload some of the doing into systems thinking because I noticed like my first reaction was kind of like oh that's us kind of going on autopilot but like I had to retract that belief like you you helped me challenge that belief to feel like I can still be present and have systems because I think that was one of my resistance to jumping on the systems train yeah I mean I feel like our mind David Allen said our mind is for having ideas not holding them I don't want any units of my mind. If I have a hundred units of capacity in a given week, I don't even want a single cube of that dedicated to ordering, reordering paper towels or toilet paper, which by the way, I used to pride myself at my very first job at a startup company. My pride and joy was that I would have already reordered the toilet paper before anyone could come to ask. And they would go, Hey, Jenny, just wanted to let you know, we're running low on toilet paper. I'd be like, it's on the way or it's arriving (laughs) today. And so I did take an interest in that at that time, I don't even know how long ago now, 15, 16 years ago, there was no Amazon or Amazon prime where you could just literally put a subscription, set it and forget it. So why dedicate a unit of our available mental resources to that? We can just set it. And the whole point is not that, Oh, it gets easier the next time you order. It's that you never have to think about it again, Mm. unless maybe you're going to leave for three months and you go, I got to turn off all my subscriptions. And so those are the things that I get excited about. For example, using a tool like Zapier, Z-A-P-I-E-R.com. No one on the team has to think about adding new BFFs to our circle community when they register. It happens automatically in the background by software. That's not something like in a way it's good that we put that element on autopilot. So we put our energy on welcoming them with a one-on-one email and saying, we're so happy you're here. What can we do to help you get up to speed? It's about shifting our energy. So going on autopilot on the things that are trivial or very routine, something that literally a robot could do so that we have that available energy and spaciousness for the big stuff. 
I love that. So creating more space for the big stuff. And I know you are somebody who has had a contentious, if that word feels okay to use, relationship with email. And also known as curmudgeonly, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, I notice sometimes I can have this like impulse that I need to respond to email right away. And I'm curious, like, what are the systems or new ways of thinking that we can be in relationship to email or relationship to Slack messages or relationship to whatever other pings we're getting in our tech world that can help take the reactivity out of, out of it? Because, you know, one of the things is that we can get so caught up in the constant responding needing to be on, which is obviously leading to how much stress people are feeling and the road of burnout that we're consistently on and, and not filling up our tanks. What would you recommend from a systems perspective of how to be in relationship to those tech little taps? Peak, peak ping is what I call it. Yes. Well, I'm so glad you asked. This is the perfect day for our interview because I just had a major breakthrough around email recently. And I'm going to do an episode for my podcast soon called train the system, then the person. My breakthrough around email was that I kept repeating myself, trying to teach team members how to handle certain things that would come in. Cause we have three inboxes, one for pivot, one for free time, and one for my personal Gmail. And they were all a mess. You're right for a long time, especially while working on the book, free time and the podcast, free time and pivot, all the things I just chose to be bad at email because my time every week was already full. Like I was spending 20 or 30 hours a week working. And then the rest was going to be for family, for myself, for recharging. So I'm okay with going through periods of life where I'm bad at email and slow at email because I know what it's for. And I know that I, not only does email, it's time consuming. I could spend four hours a day on it probably if I wanted to, but it drains me. It really drains me. And I wish that wasn't the case because usually it's wonderful, beautiful people who are writing to me. And it's never any one thing. It's like any one email in and of itself is totally joyful, but in aggregate, like you said, they make me jumpy or feel pressure or they put things on my mind. And I think I'm, I'm realizing just if, if you're a highly sensitive person and, or an empath, which I know a lot of your listeners are, everything is just heightened. So email feels like a lot of energy and requests and things. So it just has a heightened stress factor for me. My recent breakthrough was um, automatically labeling emails with how to handle them and creating a separate email guide instead of just the manager manual of how to run my business. There is now an email guide of how to run all the email. And now every time a message comes in, I take one and a half times longer than I need to, to respond so that I create a little bit of documentation and system and process. And knowing that in the future, when it comes in, it's already labeled. So for example, if somebody calls into my podcast, basically you go to a browser window and let's say you go to itsfreetime.com slash ask, you leave me a voice memo that comes into my email from SpeakPipe. Now, any message from SpeakPipe will be automatically labeled apostrophe speak pipe which is a text expander shortcut, which points to the email guide and tells someone on my team what to do. AKA, listen to the message. Is it even for my podcast? Sometimes it's for a different show that's not even mine. Download the file, transcribe it, put it in a notion card on my podcast production board, assign it to Jenny, all that kind of stuff. That's one email, but it's a whole series of actions. So now 
as we're recording this, I actually got my email inbox to under eight messages on Monday and I've kept there two weeks in a row. Thanks to all of this. The caveat is that I don't have a single big project going on right now. And so in a way, my project became email. Sometimes the reason I devolve into chaos again around it is because I don't want to say that my career achievement is that I was good at email. <laughs> so when I'm working on big projects, I don't, I don't want to be good at email. I want to create a big thing in the world that's unique to me. And so the only reason I'm good at it right now is probably also not only these systems are definitely helping me and they're easing a lot of the stress, but also, you know, I'm not working anything big at the moment. Well, it sounds like you're creating more space for yourself right now, even though you're putting in the work ahead of time, but because you know that life is going to get more full with what's next after this book has just launched and yeah. Yeah. And making it easy for a future person to plug in and help out. And also, you know, Cal Newport taught me this in an interview for free time. He was saying, you got to see how you can reduce email in the first place. So it's not just handling traffic directing, directing what comes in. It's like, how do you reduce it in the first place? So what language can you put on your contact page? What expectations can you set? Do you have team members who are going to be the first point of contact to even see messages? Some people that colleagues that I know, they don't even look at their inbox until someone on their team has already read, responded, cleared out as much as they can. And only then does the person even see what came in. And mm -hmm. as far as the other pings you mentioned, like other social platforms and LinkedIn, and I mean, we just have so many inboxes now, text messages and Slack with Slack. I tell my team Slack makes me jumpy. I really only want somebody to Slack me if it's very quick and will allow them to continue their work so that I'm not holding something up or it's very important. Let's say a VIP client is paying us 50 grand needs something Slack me. Let's make sure we get back to them ASAP. But beyond that, I don't like day-to-day -day correspondence in Slack. It's just not necessary to get mm. notified like that. There's nothing so urgent that it can't wait 24 hours till I can see the notion update, you know, in the proper place there. And my team and I don't work via email unless it's related to an email. We mm. really try to stay in notion, which is where we manage all our projects. Now, I don't remember if this was in a podcast episode on your free time podcast that you shared, or if this was in your private community BFF call, but you talked about like, how can people, cause a lot of listeners work in corporate. And so it's like, how can they not default to the nine to five or to the feeling a slave to email or the slave to their Slack messages? How can they work with their managers to create new systems? I would start by identifying when is your creative peak during the day? It's called your chronotype. In fact, Kathy Onetto, a fellow BFF, she interviewed, I gotta find her name. A, a doctor about this on her podcast. I'll find the name while we're talking. And um, so I would try to find out Dr. Shahar Yosef. I would try to find out when are you peak productive, peak creativity, peak strategic thinking. For, for me, that's like nine to 11 in the morning. The last thing I want to do, I don't even want to have seen my inbox before 9am because I will get anxiety and I'll know what's in there. And I, my mind will get hijacked basically. And 
I know that's what meditation is for <laughs> as you teach weight, but I'd rather not see it. And so I wonder if you're a corporate, could you have a conversation with your manager and say, listen, the most important thing that I need to tackle this week, this month, or this quarter is blank. I would like to commit to working on that at my peak productive, creative thinking of the day, nine to 11. During that time, I will be slow to respond to Slack messages. I will not be checking email. Is that okay with you? And if something is truly urgent, text me or ping me, like however, you know, you deal with that with your team at work. That's the first thing because it's in everybody's best interest. And research shows that we're five times more productive when we're in a flow state. Mm -hmm. So it's in everyone's best interest. And I think that most managers would really appreciate you taking the most impactful project off the list and saying, I'm, I'm getting to this no matter what. And I'm not going to let anything stop me. And I'm going to put, give it my best energy. Any manager would, I would think would be thrilled to hear that. And then just know that you're checking in at later intervals. The other thing is I've, I've spoken to a lot of people who work within tech companies, and sometimes they are just reading messages on their phone at 8 PM, 9 PM, 10 PM, almost by default. And what I say to yes. them is just stop that. Like if you currently check until 10 PM, try until 9 PM and see if anyone notices. Okay, great. Then a week or two later, don't check after 8 PM. See if anyone notices. Then a week or two later, don't check after seven and see if anyone notices it. because in corporate, no one's going to set your boundaries for you. you. You have to do it yourself, but you don't need to make a big deal about it. Just do it and then see if anybody says anything. And I guarantee it's not likely that they will. And in fact, a lot of managers, the higher up you get up the chain, they want to see you be strategic with your time, not burning out and trying to do everything at all hours. I think that is a huge point if we can just asterisk that and hopefully everybody can really let that seep in to be empowered to set their own boundaries or at least be communicative and proactive with their managers about having a discussion because the way people have been working is not sustainable and people are really facing that with how much stress and burnout is occurring and companies are also getting desperate to think about creative ways that they can support their employees and people so people you have the power you know use it use it to take care of your health and well-being and I want to emphasize you know if people are like well how do I know what my peak productivity hours are you know even recommend strengthening those mindfulness muscles to gain awareness of tracking yourself of oh, when do I feel like I'm in my flow or my creative states when do I have the most energy and excitement for the work that I'm doing and to bring that mindful inquiry with you to the workday versus the default mode which I heard you talk about Jenny which sounds like it's kind of the the biggest theme is like let's not just work on default let's be creative and curious about new systems and ways of thinking and interacting with our work and life and to realize that we're all struggling with this so it's not you i think to in a way depersonalize things a little bit i mean for a long time i just thought something's wrong with me because i can't handle email or text messages and and then then I'll read like in Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed, she has a chapter. It starts off saying, I'm a terrible friend. You know, I don't like texting or calling people. Mm -hmm. And I like that gave me permission that, yeah, if I'm being truly honest, that's how I'm wired as well. And so realizing it's not personal and that your solution may delight everybody else. So even if you can't institute 
no meeting Mondays for the entire company you work with a hundred thousand people. What about for your team? You know, and just that you solving this problem may also help create solutions for other people too. One of the things that I think we get trapped in, and I say we as in like collective we, of course not making an assumption on everybody, but that busyness feels good. Busyness feels safe. Busyness helps us feel productive. Busyness gives us a sense of self-worth. And when we aren't busy and we have more space, which is kind of similar to the spaciousness that our mindfulness and meditation practices can create, which are kind of scary for people in the beginning, that feels intimidating. And I've noticed that then we try to keep ourselves consciously or unconsciously busy because like that's the rat race that feels comfortable, but it does lead to sickness and it does lead to a sense of an unsustainable life. I even noticed this when I got back from my silent meditation retreat and I was intentionally trying to slowly reintegrate into work. I sat in front of my computer just kind of refreshing Gmail and making sure that I was caught up. And I said to myself, why am I sitting here staring at a computer? This is not what I wanna be doing, especially mm. after this beautiful detox that my mind and body just had. And I noticed it was this like impulse to feel busy and connected and productive and just thinking that me staring at my inbox was going to create that feeling. I so understand that and sometimes Hitting refresh, I mean, all, all the research, we all know this by now, shows that we get dopamine from that because it's unpredictable rewards. Some emails are stressful, but some of them are delightful. It might be a thank you message from one of your listeners or centered in the city members, or it might be a friend reaching out. So there are connections that we get through email. And maybe if you were feeling like you'd had a month unplugged from everybody, maybe there was part of you that was like, who's out there? Who needs me? You know, and or, yeah. or who's writing to me? And, and it's almost like this little lottery ticket moment where you're like, what's going to come in? Also, it's passive. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but like hitting refresh on email is like, okay, I'm kind of doing something. It reminds me of watching TV, which I love. I'm not somebody who's like, oh, I don't ever watch Netflix. No, I love at the end of the day to watch a good show, like one or two good shows to wind down and emails kind of like that. You can kind of sit and it's a passive thing. You're not recording a solo episode of your podcast, which is going to take more energy. So I would imagine for you, it was also a moment of just trying to ease your way back in. Although it's kind of, I compare it to a chew toy for a dog. Like there's not really nutritional value most of the time, but it's like, we chew on it anyway. And, uh, I don't know this thing of, I guess on some level, I've gotten this question a few times recently as it relates to free time of this thing of like, it feels good to feel busy. I get burnt out and sick so easily that yes. like, it just stopped feeling good to me to feel busy. It just, it actually doesn't feel good because I get sick quickly. And so, as I say in the book, it's actually harder to work less. It takes more strategic thinking. It takes more systems, it takes more creativity. It takes more boundaries. It takes more focus to work half the time. It's not, no one here is talking about like, yeah, just fling all your responsibilities out the window. We're actually talking about how do you transcend to the next level of your work. And again, the next level of strategic thinking, creative problem solving that that's not that easy to do. So I don't aspire to be busy. 
I don't enjoy it. It doesn't give me validation. It just told, tells me I'm doing something wrong. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen to me, but it's like, oh, I did it again. I made myself busy, like mm-hmm. the V word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the next V word follows, which is burnout. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh my God. I, I love that the two B words follow each other. Yes. Um, one of the things that your book helped me create and you in general helped me create was thinking about how kind of circling back to calendar blocking and the busy blueprint. Some people ask me like, how did you find time to go on a month long retreat? And how did you work from Mexico for the month? And all these questions. And I was like, you put it on your calendar. Like I blocked off the month of March back in August because I didn't know if I was going to get into this retreat yet, but I saw it as sacred and as something I wanted to do. And so I just blocked it off. And I was like, if there ends up being conflicts down the road, I will deal with it. I know you shared, Jenny, that beginning of the year, you block off every Friday or um, and then certain weeks for vacation and certain weeks for deep thinking. And, and so you're intentional and you're proactive about it. And I think that's a huge empowerment piece for people to recognize that they can, even if you work in corporate, do control your time and your calendar and how to be proactive with the way that they think about their time and and what they want to do in life. Yes. Happy to share more about calendar in just a second in terms of making that automatic. For you, when you took that month off, it must have been edgy nonetheless, because it's so uncommon in our culture to do that. Were there any emergencies? Did anything go haywire? Nope. The biggest thing was we wanted to try to file our taxes before I left and that didn't get done, but that's why you have a later tax date that you can file for. Like, And that was not an emergency. Yeah. Because that's always, I think, what people are afraid of. What if something happens? And you could have a backup plan, give them the front office phone number, your family, like totally. if something's really going haywire, here's the number of the front office. This goes back to set it and forget it. So I, yes, I used to proactively block off my calendar. Now it's on a forever recurring Monday, Friday is blocked off by default, the fourth week of every month, all of August and mid December to mid January, because I've noticed those are the times when I desperately want a break. They're all blocked off on an annual recurring. I don't have to think about it ever again. It's just automatically blocked off. So what the only thing I have to do is decide when I want to make an exception. And I will, I do. It's not like, oh, I never, ever have a meeting on a Friday, but it's always by choice, not by default. I love that. Jenny, where can people learn more about you, your books, your podcasts, all of the amazing free resources and communities that you have? Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much, Wade. You can look for free time with Jenny Blake, wherever you're listening to this show or pivot with Jenny Blake. Wade is an OG founding member of the BFF community. Yeah. That's gone through many iterations over the years. That's at itsfreetime.com slash BFF. And if you want the free free time toolkit that we've talked about a lot of different strategies, I've tried to create as many templates and give you as many head starts as I can. That's at itsfreetime.com slash toolkit. Amazing. Thank you, Jenny, for sharing your wisdom and your insights with us. Thank you, Wade. I love your questions. I remember when you first shifted to starting to do interviews on your podcast and you weren't sure how the experiment would go. I love your interview style. I love everything you 
brought up today and things I was surprised to talk about. So thank you for being you and big thanks to everybody who's here listening. Thanks so much for listening to the Center in the City podcast. If you were inspired by this episode and made you think about your own systems, your own relationship to technology and time and energy, share with Jenny and I one of your biggest takeaways. You can join us on social media, LinkedIn, or our respective websites. And all of this information is in the show notes of how to connect with us. Until next time, stay centered.